So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, so welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, I've got David Meltzer, uh, co-founder of Sports One Marketing, a global sports and entertainment marketing agency that leverages over $20 billion in relationship capital and over 38 years of business experience that brings athletes, celebrities, and businesses together. And here's the hook and the reason why I've got him on the show, to make a lot of money and help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. David, the first time I read that, I was like, I have to know this guy. Because that is so, that just so resonates with me. So, so David, first of all, for the people that don't know who you are, and I know you've been very well exposed through books and audio programs and your, your contribution, if you will, to the world, for the person that is listening right now and they don't know who you are, who is David Meltzer? You know, I am someone who I think represents a blend of two different currencies. Uh, and it, a blend of one, the currency of money, as I start off by saying, make a lot of money. Uh, sure. Money's a currency. It's an object of energy we put into the flow to get what we want in this pragmatic world. And then the currency of faith uh, in a non-religious aspect of faith, uh, which later on in life took a major role because my whole life has been about my relationship to money. I grew up with a single mom and six kids in Akron, Ohio. And the only time I wasn't happy was always about money. And so yeah. in my mind, money was the thing that bought happiness or love because I had a mom who made me happy and loved me. I had these incredible five siblings that made me happy and a huge family. And I just didn't have money. So I grew up in a scarce world of not enough where, you know, why don't I have a house? You know, I have a two bedroom apartment with six kids. Why don't I have a nice car? I have a country squire station wagon. Why can't we afford sometimes dinner? Like why are we packing our dinners in a paper bag and my mom working two jobs and why is she crying because the car broke down and so my whole life I you know my my mom was all academics right second grade teacher yeah hard worker and she literally didn't think the fetus was fully developed till after graduate school her favorite saying literally doctor <laughs> lawyer or failure I would say yeah. like some entrepreneurial BS to her about being a you know millionaire and she'd say David you're gonna be a doctor or a lawyer or a failure just stop right yeah. study shut up yeah. and read and yeah. my siblings listened to her i literally wanted to be rich but i blended even that to satisfy my mom i joke around people ask how my siblings are so successful they all went to the ivy leagues all summa cum laude genius like academic freaks right yeah. harvard penn columbia and my people ask how's your mom do that with no money as a single mom i said simple she's a black belt in the martial arts and they're like really she kicked your butt i'm like no, 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 no. Third degree martial art of Jewish guilt. Uh, nobody can, and she's still, I'm 52 years old, can guilt me. And, and I try to pick up, my mom's my, my parenting mentor. So I've yeah. learned, wake your kids up at 5 a.m. and guilt them wherever you can, and they will be hyper successful. Um, anyway, so that journey and blend is, is who I am. And just to give you a little background on what I did, I focused in on being a millionaire uh, went to law school to be a millionaire. I reverse yeah. engineered the law school I went to to find the highest paying job out of law school, which is oil and gas litigator. So I went to Tulane. But when I got out of law school, I made a crucial change in my life. I always, you know, please my mom. I took a job selling, selling legal research in 1992. The internet was not the same as it is today, by the no. way, I'm old. It was yeah. very, very slow and very, very black and white or green and white. Uh, it was weird. But I went against my mom. I literally have a saying, you know, just because somebody loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. Because my mom told me the internet was a fad, that I was going to yep. be a failure, that how dare I not be a real lawyer. I actually took the bar to make my mom happy to mitigate the risk when I was going to fail in the internet. But nine months out of law school, I was a millionaire. Everything from the time I left law school until two years before I lost everything, which was 2006, I lost everything, over $100 million in 2008. 
everything just reaffirmed money buys love and happiness. Every yeah. single thing in my life, who I got engaged to, why I broke up with her, where I, where I, my first job went to the Silicon Valley. I made more and more, you know, I became the CEO of the world's first smartphone when I was 30 years old. I married my dream girl who hated me when I was a little kid and all of a sudden loved me. Uh, everything reaffirmed that money really bought love and happiness. Um, and I ended up being the CEO of the world's most famous sports agency right down the street from you, Lee Steinberg yeah. Sports and Entertainment. They made the movie Jerry Maguire about Lee. Uh, I was surrounded by the biggest celebrities, athletes, entertainers. I went to the biggest events and award shows always anywhere with great access. But I always had a charitable purpose. The interesting thing in my money relationship was I believe the more that you gave, the more you got. And I, that's a dangerous thought. And I know a lot of people are like, no, no, that's what I believe. And that's good to be philanthropic. But I went through a transformation with that idea that it's not the more you give to receive. It's really the more you receive so you can give. And yeah. I shifted that focus in 2006. Uh, I started that, as you said, I left Lee Steinberg. He had a, uh, a disease called alcoholism. He's overcome that now, just had signed the biggest contract with Patrick Mahomes. I'm so proud of him. Yeah. But Warren Moon and I, we, we spun off our company to make money, help people and have fun. Everything has a charitable purpose or cause. In the last three years, I built my own brand. As you suggested, I speak around the world. I'm an executive coach. I do a lot of philanthropic things as well. A ton of content, uh, you know, books, uh, TV, I've uh, podcasts, which I want you on called The Playbook, uh, a TV show called Elevator Pitch. I'm launching a new one, a two minute drill. Uh, so there's a variety of things that I do, but everything, believe it or not, Tom, now in my life, is I'm on a mission. I want a yeah. thousand people like yeah. Tom Ferry to empower a thousand people to empower a thousand people to be happy. I, and happiness is something that I can teach. It's something that mindset, heart set, pragmatic world I can help people with. And I do free trainings every Friday for the last 20 years. Uh, they have shifted into during COVID something huge by the universe and the luck and the coincidence of now thousands and thousands of people uh, come and watch, which has been extraordinary, but they're really meant to empower you to understand what happiness is, how to achieve happiness, how to create abundance. I lived in a world of not enough. I moved to a world of just enough where I was buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. And I'm sure we can get into how I transformed into the world of more than enough. Man, that uh, there's so many things, David, that I want to unpack in in what you've said, and I know the listener right now is going, "Whoa, okay, got it." Like I get this guy. Um, you said earlier, like the more I give, the more I get. I just want to unpack that one just for a second. Like you know, a lot of people are going to hear that and say, "Well, wait a minute," like you know, like I I, I firmly believe that like happiness in in some way is created by uh, learning right? That, you know, the synapses it creates in the brain, the way it makes you feel, right? You expand yourself, you expand your idea, uh, you know, your identity through knowledge. And I also believe that contribution is a major factor of, of creating sustainable happiness, right? But some people use it as a drug and then it, you know, then it goes away, right? So we both get that. Um, but what the hell, what do you mean? Like, you know, like is giving bad? No. Yeah. So the, right. When I unpack that, I believe the more that I gave, the more I would receive. Yeah. The difficulty was that I was a trader, a negotiator, a manipulator, right. overseller, right. a back end seller, yeah. a liar, a, a cheater. And yeah. all the things I, I can tell you, I hated about my father. I realized why, because I hated him about myself. And I yeah. go through a story with that later. But for me, when I made the shift in the paradigm that it wasn't a trader negotiation, that it wasn't a matter that I'm giving so I can receive. When yeah. I started focusing on receiving so I can give, allowing right. everything not to be to me, like in the world of not enough as a victim, not to yeah. be for me, like the world yeah. of just enough when I was a multimillionaire in my 20s and 30s, buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. But now everything was going to come through me with appreciation, not just appreciation of gratitude, which everyone thinks of. And I know you're a big fan of it. So am I with all our mentors that we share. But yeah. appreciation is to add value. When your house appreciates, you add value. And so I want to receive everything to add value and appreciate it only to give it away with value to, and to add value to other people's lives with appreciation and the light, love and happiness in which it really comes from. Yeah. So, so, so many people I talk to and 
I mean, literally, it's just texting with Glenn Stearns. I'm sure you know Glenn, right? Another great, you know, Newport guy. He's got a great TV show. He's going to be on the podcast. We were just texting about that, too. And our sort of mutual love of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, uh, and you know, you meet these these women and men that experience what you've experienced or done what, you know, both of us have done to a certain degree where you, in your early days of your life, it's just like, make money, right? Like, I want, I'm coming from nothing and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Tom Bilyeu, same conversation, right? You know, same exact thing, right? And then they get there and some people lose it all and that's their lesson. And some people have the shift and, and that's their lesson. And then some people that just becomes their life. Just money becomes the all, you know, they, they get divorced 48 times, you know, they, you know, they, they, it's okay. I can just buy another one, right? Like that, that becomes the mindset, right? Men and women. What do you think it is about what's happening in our society that creates these people like us that, that just, you, you come from nothing and you're like, I just have to have it. And then we finally figure out that the it as it isn't it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The money is never it. And I have an interesting perspective on this because I'm a rarity that I went through a shift yeah. two years before I lost over a hundred million dollars. So coming into, because of the massive amount of uh, assets and wealth that I had, yeah. it, it had a longer period of pain, meaning pain is For an sure. indicator, right? Of something emotional, financial, spiritual pain is yeah. an indicator that I have a lesson to learn. It was cool because I had two of the three, but I think it comes from number one, that there's mm -hmm. certain people that grew up grow up with nothing that uh, are stimulated by one thing. They must be what they can be. Yeah. Right. And so yep. number one, the common denominator is they must be what they can be. And in order to prove that when you have nothing, you initially set off to get something because yep. we can only, you know, see things and then we want to overachieve those. Right. And yep. I, I, I make this a really big point with children is I want to make sure that all the children get to see things so that they can break those records, whether it's yeah. in kindness or generosity or whatever. And I think it's important today that we represent certain uh, icons to kids that they may not see all the time playing their Fortnite and with our politics and with diseases. Right. I, I want to represent something different that they can see and, and overachieve. I want to plant seeds under trees that I'll never you know, sit under as Dennis Waitley taught both of us. So, you know, for me, it's critical uh, to provide that type of, of a thing. The common denominator then shifts. Okay, if I must be what I can be and I want to be rich and then I become rich, I now feel empty. And I, right. And so that emptiness yeah. causes either number one, a shift, or it causes self sabotage, which causes right. you to lose everything. And usually you can pick that up. Now, there's also the other side, like you said, that, you know, the people that have $40 million homes in Newport Beach and big yachts, and literally they still live in a world of not enough. Right? Exactly. And, and but yeah. yet they're still driven by the ability to must be what they can be. Since there's an abundance, I tell everyone, there's more than enough of everything for everyone. They figured out how to get it. So what they do, since there's always enough money, is there's always more money. And if your goal is that, you'll never have enough wives, you'll never have enough boats, cars, yeah planes or money because there's yeah. always more there's yeah. always more yeah there's always somebody higher always like my dad uh would always say to me all the time there's always somebody bigger better faster stronger who makes more who does more who contributes more so why don't you stop competing against them and compete against that guy in the mirror and i was like you know when you're when you're 17 and you have a mohawk you don't really hear that but when you're you know you're like he was planting seeds, right? But when you're like 22, 23, 24, and then you're starting to realize, yeah, and now at, you know, 50 and T minus, you know, a couple, you know, a couple weeks, like I really see it. I really, you know, like my, my mentor, Mike Vance would say to me all the time, man, I can't wait till you're 80 because that's when you finally get it. Right. He's like, he, he's like, it took me 80 years on this planet to finally understand it. Like most people were never going to get it. Yeah. Um, Bob Proctor told me the same thing. 86, right? Yeah. You'll finally get that. You don't know what you don't know when you're about 80. Right. So, so how do we help the person who is, you know, young and ambitious and, you know, gotta, gotta go for what they want because they're coming from nothing or they, you know what, they've got a lot and they just, they just want to, they want to do more. They just want to experience more. Um, what do you say to that person you know, to maybe put them on the right path. 
So I have five steps, you know, I'm very pragmatic, yeah. mathematical, yeah. And technological and spiritual in the same breath, but I have five things. And I tell young people all the time, number one, and I wish someone would have told me this when I was 22, right. 32, 42. And I remind myself at 52, by the way. So I'm on, yeah. I'm on this journey, guys. I'm practicing. Everything's a yeah. practice. One, yeah. take inventory of your values. You know, one of the things that makes a big difference is, look, we don't know our what. I, I try to convince young people, you already know your why. You know mm-hmm. your why is to help somebody or something. Let that go. Let's figure out your what, because that's what scares you. You don't mm-hmm. know the what. So in order to find your what, take inventory of your personal values every day, your experiential values every day, what do you want to experience, and your giving values every day, and your receiving values, and they don't have to be balanced. You know, you're 21, you're 25, you're 35, you're 45. They're different balanced values. And here's the kicker. Don't be afraid of being a hypocrite. Don't be afraid of saying, I changed my mind. I changed my values. I don't believe thank goodness, what I believed when I was 18. I don't believe that. And I'm okay. And what makes it really difficult as you get old, and you're going to feel me with this, Tom, is the snapshot problem. I still, I'm 52 years old. I'll go back to Akron, Ohio. And my favorite aunt and uncle that live there, they have a snapshot of David Meltzer from the time he was born until the time he was nine. And then many snapshots of stories that they've heard about me. Yep. And so- when I go back to Akron to the people who I adore and love and they adore and love me, it's extremely tenuous and hard for me because they see me in that snapshot. And I want to tell them, no, 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 no. I don't have those values anymore. I'm not a money hungry, competitive person in that respect. I'm a different person today. And so don't be afraid of being a hypocrite. So that's number one. Two, ask. I'm a huge and I wish still today there's a, a little, you know, dude on my shoulder that would remind me in person on the phone via email and media, radio, print TV and social media every time. Dave, you got to ask for what you want. You got to ask how you can be of service or value. Ask for help. Ask, 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 ask. So yeah. I tell young people all the time, get into the habit of asking of how you can be of service or value and asking, do you know anybody that can help me? Do you know anyone that can help me? There are no gatekeepers in the world. Drop that mindset. There are only sponsors, power sponsors, and decision makers. Everyone's on your side. Everyone is here to help you. You have to change your mind. They may not be able always to help you because of time, emotion, or value, but everyone's here not to stop you. So the more you ask people, the more you're giving them the gift of allowing them to, number one, feel good about themselves, that you appreciate the superpower they have, but two, you're giving them an opportunity to feel good by giving and investing in you. So that's number two. I got to just throw something at you. So a lot of my listeners uh, know I've got a a longtime friend named Thatch Nguyen up in the Pacific Northwest. He and I, David, used to play what we call the contribution game. Put, Put 50 people in a room. Everybody write down what is the biggest thing you're trying to solve or what is the most important goal you're going for. And you get about four or five people in and you run into the person that's like, oh, I can help you with that. Oh, here, I've already solved that. Here you go. Here's the answer. Oh, let me introduce you to my friend. He's a producer. And it gets solved that quickly, right? So like we, we turn the ask into the contribution game, the game of how can I help as many people as possible with my toolbox and my relationships. But you get 30, 40, 50 people in a room doing that together. It is insane. Why do you think... Why do you think most, like, I want to I unpack number two. Why do you think most people don't ask? Oh, it's ego. See, they don't understand. They think that giving, right? It, it, giving is this yeah. philanthropic thing that's difficult, yeah. right? It's not. It's so difficult. There's so many ego-based emotions that are attached to when we ask for help. The need to be superior, the need yeah. to be inferior, the need to be separate, the, yeah. the need to be resentful and offended, the need literally to be worthy, which is a big one for me. I'm 52 years old. I still work through my worthiness issues that, yeah. oh gosh, I'm not worthy of, you know, asking. And I, I was blessed, you know, I, I helped consult with the uh, Vaynerchuks uh, for their sports agency when they started yeah. it. Yeah. And I got into a competition of contribution with Gary 
And he, the only thing that guy's scarce about is giving. You cannot out give. I would say you can't out ask the universe. You yeah. can't out ask Gary V because he gets like so competitive. Like the more that I did for them, the more he's like, dude, I got to do this. I got to do this. And I'm like, it's not a competition of contribution, but I'll get into this with you because I want to help you too. And you can absolutely help me understand what a genius you are in digital media. Um, so I think it's really important to understand these ego-based emotions about asking yeah. and fight it. And then there's also the consistency problem. You know, if you're looking at doing something, two minutes a day is way worth more than two hours on a Saturday. It's a, it's a muscle. It's a habit. When you get in the habit of feeling good, the cool thing about asking for me is how many people say yes. Right. 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 But, but I think it, you, you unpacked all the sort of the, the sort of ego base. And the one I didn't hear is like the fear of not looking good. Or did you, did you tie that one into worthy? Okay, inferiority. inferiority, right? Yeah, but, yeah. It, it, but it's true. You know, it, it's also that they're not going to think I'm doing well. Right. right. Like it, it's right. more specific. Like, yeah. I couldn't, well, oh my gosh, I really know my uncle could help me, yeah. but I'm, I just don't want him to think I'm not doing well and, yeah. you know, that I need him. And, yeah. you know, it, it killed me. Once I got rid of that, the radical humility took over my life. Yeah. You know, my, my success is based off of this simple formula. You're going to laugh, but I take inventory of my values to figure out my what. Then the majority of my time is doing research to find out who has what I want. And then I ask them for it or I ask them to teach me how to get it. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Podcast over, <laughs> right? Like that's it. That's it. So, so you'll appreciate it in, in my world with all, like I'm, I'm blessed to have all these extraordinary clients all over the world and friends. You and me, like, you know, we're brothers and sisters in arms. And what I tell them is, look, we live in a world of R and D. And like corporate America people go, research and development? I go, no, 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 no. Rip off and duplicate. Everything that someone else has done, if you can, if you can take pieces of that and, and turn it into your model, your plan, your goals, your dreams, right? Like you got to do all that you know, the right way. But like that's, that is my entire ecosystem. Everybody operates in this world of R&D. So if David Meltzer's done something, David, brother, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? Tell me everything. Can you send it to me? Can I fly to your office? Can I spend it? And, and like, that's our community. That's what makes it so damn sticky and special. It's so cool. And I laugh with my wife all the time because, you know, as the brand grows and you get to the millions of people and everything, yeah. I laugh because the majority of the gratitude emails that I get that change people's lives are two things. One, thank you so much for teaching me to say thank you before I go to bed and when I wake up. It changed yeah. my life. Thank you so much for teaching me to say thank you. And I think, you know, that book, I've learned everything you need to know in life. You learn in kindergarten or whatever it was. It's right. actually before that. Because I have more people email thousands that have changed their life because I teach them to say thank you. Thank and you. the other one is ask, right? Mm -hmm. Like So I have all these complex issues. I have been around the world thought leaders and I've written books yeah, yeah, and I've yeah. done extensive research on physics, quantum physics and metaphysics. But in the end, the two things that change people's lives is to remind them to be consistent about gratitude and about asking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. And those are like the first thing your grandma probably taught you. <laughs> For sure. And I would even go as far as I'd even go farther down the rabbit hole that there's a lot of people that are afraid to ask Google how do I build a landing page that converts? How do I increase my, where should I be investing today? Like they won't even ask Google and get in for, they just keep it in their head. Right. And, and I, I'm a huge fan. I don't know if you've read this book, the war of art, I'm sure you have, right? Like it's, I, I, I I'm in the middle of writing another book right now. So this is like the, you always go back to, you know, something like this when you're in that creative space, it's the resistance. It's the, I, uh, you know, I don't want to look bad. You know, these people are going to think less of me versus that person doesn't give a shit. They're not even thinking about you right now. But if they know something, people want to share. People want to talk about what they know. They want to contribute what they know. It validates what it is that they know. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work in the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. 
I have a quote, my brother, he passed, uh, he was a doctor and I didn't know at 18 years old, I was pre-med, right? After I realized I wasn't going to be a professional football player, Christian Okoya, my freshman year had run me over and I lied on my back going doctor, lawyer, failure. So (laughs) I I went pre-med, but I'm 18. I I don't know what I don't know. And so I went to ask my brother about being a doctor and I told him, dude, I hate hospitals. He's like, Dave, you got to be in a hospital, be a doctor. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to be a sports doctor, training room, sidelines. He goes, Dave, you're going to have to spend years in a hospital to be a sports doctor. I was so lost. And then he gave me this great gem advice that is the reason people won't search in Google. He said, David, you need to be more interested than interesting. You need to change your mindset from interesting to interest. You're a great salesman, manipulator, liar, cheater, overseller, backend seller. It comes naturally to you. You're interesting, dude, but you got to be interested. And once I shifted that perspective of my mindset, I started, you know, well, I work for Westlaw. So it was original bullion language search engine on the internet. Then it went to natural language and then to not, you know, other things, Netscape and then Google. I've been involved in being more interested as a profession you know, than most people. And I still sometimes ask myself, gosh, why didn't I look that up? Why didn't I ask for directions? Why didn't I ask? Why didn't I go YouTube that? Why did I just waste all the time, emotion and energy and the dummy tax if I just could have asked? Yeah. Okay. So if one is take inventory of your values, which, you know, I'm a huge believer in. And two is ask. What's number three? Three is one of my favorites. It's very pragmatic. It's be a student of your calendar. And when I say student, my definition of being a student of anything is pay attention to and give intention to the coincidences that you want. I believe that's the mathematical equation of luck. Attention plus intention equals coincidence. That's how people become lucky. Now, I study three things in a calendar. Okay, but, whoa, 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 but how does that relate to your calendar? I'll tell you. I, I mean, I, I get it, but I want to hear it. Yeah. So for me, a calendar represents three things what I have planned during the day, the activity Mm -hmm. I get paid for and the activity I don't, what I don't have planned for the day, which a lot of people that aren't more interested or interesting see the white space, bank space, the empty space in your calendar is the most valuable to me. And then I study sleep. Uh, In order to effectuate everything, I truly am a student. I have a sleep mentor at all times, a sleep coach. I have an unwinding routine. Most people... I, you know, maybe because it's a sports background, I've always believed in cool downs. I unwind my day. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, but here's the lenses I use to study the, the calendar. And I use the calendar because time is the man-made construct that everyone feels as if holds together a day. 24 hours is a man-made construct. I like yeah. to bend that by utilizing these three lenses. One, a lens of productivity. So I'm studying with how much value can I provide? How productive can I be? A lens of accessibility, which is a bifocal, meaning it's how accessible am I to others to be of service or of value, but also how am I accessing what I want, right? Looking and research, doing all these things. How am I getting what I want during the day according to my values? And then the lens of gratitude, which is so essential to me. A lens of gratitude means this. You are there to find the light, love, and lessons and everything. One thing I learned about being one of the most notable sports agents in the world and being surrounded by celebrities, athletes, and entertainers, and having a job that people would say, oh, someday, Mr. Meltzer, I, I want, you know, I want to be just like you, Jerry Maguire. I want to be just like you, TV shows. I want to, right? The golden thing is there is suck in every job. And that's right. the lesson I learned. I always say, if you can learn that everything, number one, has 10 minutes of suck in it, uh, and you can learn to find the light, the love, and the lessons in the suck. Because I've been around Hall of Famers. I've been around, you know, the biggest entertainers in the world. And they complain to me how much their jobs suck. And I try yeah. to teach them and coach them, hey, let's find the light, the love, and the lessons in the suck. Uh, Marcellus Wiley is one of my greatest examples. He would say, Dave, I, I play football for free. I, the way that I find the light, the love, and the lessons is, you know, people bother me. I lost my privacy. I have to do certain things nobody would want to do. And then I use my money that I get paid. I say, I, I, I play football for free, but I get paid to do this interview or to have this lady take a selfie and grab me when I'm with my family. Then I remind myself before I ruin everything. That's my mindset. So study your calendar. You can be productive, accessible, and gracious in everything you do. And literally, 
it has changed my life. And it's also one of the more difficult habits, just like saying thank you every day is difficult right. for 30 days. Studying your calendar, I do it twice a day, minimum 10 minutes. It is difficult to study it. So, because I, I look at it, that's paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. But to study it, to give it intention, what I think, say, do, believe, the unconscious competencies of my uh, personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions, all aggregated into what I'm going to perform with, yeah. and look at the empty space and use that effectively. But when you do it, man, you get light years ahead of people. Right. Okay. So you got to unpack for me, like, so I'm a calendar freak. I'm a sleep freak, right? So like, I'm with you on all of that. Be a student of your calendar, pay attention to and be intentional around your plans, right? About what you don't have planned and around your sleep. So, so I, and then you kind of said, basically time is a man-made construct, which I love. I interpret it as efficiency, focusing on what you want and always being in a state of gratitude. Did I get that right? Yeah. Efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success, right? So I, I, yeah created the uh, power of 64 where when I first got out of law school, I wanted to be a millionaire. So I yeah. said, most people are productive at best eight hours. I'm going to be productive 16 hours. I'm yeah. going to create efficiencies. I call it finding four minutes. You know, if you tell people, yeah. if you can find four minutes every day of efficiency, it's three full days of productivity. It's 24 yeah. hours a year. Yeah. So it really motivates you to, to find that. In fact, I tell people, let me give you two weeks vacation right now. 80 hours a year is spent wasted on looking for things. Most of the right, time, right. it's your cell phone, your wallet, and your keys. If you go and listen to this podcast right now and find a spot that you're always going to put your wallet, your keys, and your phone, I just gave you two weeks vacation, 80 hours. Yeah. Yep. So, guys, guys and gals like us that have also traveled a lot in our lives, that we did that from necessity, right? You learn very quickly, put my watch here, put my this here, put my iPhone, but because otherwise if it's, if it's a mess and you're in a different hotel room and you don't know where you're going to be the next day, you lose watches. Yeah. My, my wife, I love this, that. this is a crazy true story about traveling. You, you know, the, the yellow line they wrap around dead people when they die, you know, yeah. the police do. So they yeah. know the, the position. So I created with these, these little vinyl um, things from the kids toys that you put on this blackboard to make yeah. shape. Yeah. I cut out the shape of my keys, my wallet, and my phone. So when I went to a hotel room, I put them down. And so I know my space that I would never yeah. forget it. And e even if I go out and, and enjoy myself with a couple glasses of wine, which is usually when I got in trouble trying to find stuff the next morning when right. I got to be on an interview at 7 a.m., yeah. I would just that subconscious line would be like, okay, this is where dummy puts his wallet. <laughs> I, see, I love that, man. See, I'm... I am such a believer in that um, ambition, right? And routine are just, they're just interconnected. You, you, you Show me a person who is super ambitious and has no routines or is anti-routine and I'll show you a person that was gonna be miserable all of their life. But when you have routine and ambition together, right? And, and little things, you said, hey, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna give you two weeks of vacation, right? Just by having a little thing like, place your wallet and keys in the same place every single time. Like just those, that's a genius little hack. What's uh, yeah, please, please. I learned this. I have a set routine, like wake up at four, meditate, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have an adaptable routine. This saved my life. Ooh, so what I realized, realized was that, Hey, family comes into town, bachelor parties happen, life happens all the time. Yep. And if you can go to your adaptable routine to say this, okay, the set routines out of the way. Yep. Now, what are my priorities? So my adaptable routine is real simple. Number one, a minimum of an hour a day on my health. So no yep. matter who comes to town, what's going to be done, I got to take care of myself for a minimum of an hour a day. Then it's a minimum of 30 minutes a day with my wife, a minimum of 30 minutes a day with my son. And then a minimum of two minutes a day with my three teenage daughters and a minimum of one minute a day with my mom. And it's always to tell her four things. Number one, I'm happy. Number two, I'm healthy. Number three, I love her. And number four, I appreciate her. If you are a parent or a child yeah. and you can communicate every day in a minute, those four things, your bond between the most relative person in your life and you will always be, nobody will have to prove they love each other. Nobody will have to do things to create void shortages. The, the ego gets out of the relationship when everyone's secure in the fact that you're happy, healthy, love them and appreciate them. And yeah, that yeah. adaptable routine, then I spend a minimum of 10 minutes a day studying my calendar, which sets off 
the rest of a new routine. So, but I think it's important for people to know life's going to happen to you. So if you're OCD, anal retentive, routine oriented, you better have an adaptable routine because life's going to happen to you. Bingo. I love, I refer to that more like in that, in this sort of, I don't know, it's a cliche phrase of like non-negotiables, right? Like you're not, you're not, you're never going to mess with my morning routine. I don't care where I am in the world. I don't care what's going on. You know, whatever's happening. I mean, God forbid, like something with my wife or kids, then I'd be like, okay, I break it. But outside of that, those are my non-negotiables. Share this with us. Like, cause I'm a, again, I'm a schedule freak. Like I tell people all the time, you know, like if it, yeah, if it's not in your schedule, it doesn't exist and doesn't get done. Right. So, so think wisely about what you want. Think wisely about what matters to you. And then ask yourself, should that be done every day, once a week, three times a week, four, and then put it in your schedule. Then you don't have to think as much, right? And and I'm hardcore. I'm like, go 20 years out in your life and say, who do I want to be in 20 years? And then what does that woman's disciplines, health routine, mindset, love, joy, gratitude, like what does she do every single day? And then start reverse engineering. What are those disciplines today? And put them in place. But like, I say that to people and they go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, uh, right? Like like some people get it and a lot a lot of people do and I love you. Thank you for getting it and thank you for doing it for a lot of my dear, you know, dear friends and clients out there. I wanna know what's the question you ask yourself the most when you're looking at your calendar? This is for me personally, for no one else because I'm a, I'm a calendar freak. What, what's the question you're, you open up your laptop, you look at the week, what's the question you ask yourself? For, for me, the question is, how consistent are you? Like I'm actually yeah. reviewing the consistency because I believe in segmentation and exponential growth and acceleration. So when you talk about who am I or what am I or what are my values, 20 yeah. years, you know, jobs, I was blessed to be around at a young entrepreneur, connect yeah. the dots backwards. Segmentation allows for that acceleration and growth, but nothing happens. I call it zeroing effect without consistency. Mm-hmm. And so as I look and study and put intention into things, I know that two minutes a day is worth more than two hours on a Saturday. I just know that. And so more importantly, I'm looking to see what I didn't do or I'm not consistent where I have a zeroing effect to the exponentiality of the power of what I possess of that great source of energy, light and love that I'm connected to. And so the first question I ask is looking and studying, going, hmm, how can I be more consistent? Why, or, you know, and challenging myself, why is it so difficult? I studied the Course in Miracles for four and a half years. Yeah. Uh, it took me a good three years before I didn't miss a day. Mm-hmm. And it was always in my calendar. And so that would be that question of why, you know, why aren't you consistent? This, why would you, one of my favorite uh, videos I've ever seen is a guy that he decided to record one second of every day in like yeah. the, the little in and put it together for five years and it would end up be like an hour. But anyway, like it was day 36 and this is his lifetime ambition, like to do this project. <laughs> I love day 36 because he held up a piece of paper and said, shit, I forgot. And I think in its <laughs> essence, that's the practice of progress. Yeah. That's the practice of quieting. It's the practice of human nature that why do we get in our own way that no matter how important, how good it is for us, how good it makes us feel, we cannot do stuff every day. But if we can, the universe or whatever, I think rewards us with exponentiality, compound interest and growth. Yeah. Okay, so before we go to number four, what's your unwinding routine? Yeah, so my routine leads up to nine o'clock. So I have several periods that are research time. I have several periods that are family time, turn everything off. Uh, I have coaching scheduled in there, et cetera. At nine o'clock, my wind down routine is to make sure there's no negative energy input, uh, accelerants, stimulants uh, in my life. Now, the wind down routine is also, remember, I'm studying my calendar. So during the day, I'm looking to that unwinding routine saying, hey, you know, it's eight o'clock. Am I going to go jogging at eight o'clock? Is that going to make it easier to into my wind? No, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, if it's the night before and somebody invites me out till four in the morning, some celebrity athlete has, you know, I'm going to be mature enough to walk away, which is always difficult for me, which caused me so many problems in my thirties because I yeah. couldn't say no. And I wanted to please everybody, even people I didn't like. So I would be around drugs and alcohol till four in the morning. And I wanted to wake up at four in the morning every day. Now everything leads to that unwinding routine. I'm very particular, especially with today of inundated information, meaning that I think people have to control not only what they say, but what they hear. And so yes. I, I, you know, 
I, I will be honest, you know, my, my rabbi brother doesn't like this, but I'll listen to Joel Osteen uh, yeah. at nine o'clock, right? Yeah. I'll put him on the, in the background, you For know. Sure. It, Joel like, rocks. He rocks. And I, I, yeah. I've been blessed to hang out with him and go live. And I, I'm a Jew for Joel. You know, I don't know what they call me, but I love the dude. Um, that should be a hashtag, man. That's hot. <laughs> Darren, Darren Prince and I, uh, another sports agent, magic's agent, right? But yeah, so that wind down routine to me is essential because what it allows me to do is I pass out before 11 o'clock every day. Yeah. Sometimes it's 9.05, sometimes it's 10.50. Mm -hmm. But if I can pass out from lack of energy and cl clarity, that yeah, yeah. sleep period that I have is actually a input where I'm, most people live their life like the myth of Sisyphus. They push a boulder up all day long, all day long they push the boulder up and when they wake up the next morning, it's back at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, I yeah. plateau and grow my life, partly because of the unwinding routine, but also because I know when I'm sleeping, I've got rid of all the interference and corrosion between me and that great source of energy, love, light, and lessons. And if I'm not doing anything to interfere with that beforehand, I can really maximize not only the physical restoration that's needed by sleep, but the emotional and spiritual enlightenment that occurs while we sleep and you yeah. wake up smarter, better, and happier. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So what's number four? You're going to love number four. I can tell already. It's one of my favorites. Now, I have a, a, a philosophy that statistics, I hate them, right? So I used to say the only statistic I love is 99% of all statistics are made up. That was the only statistic. <laughs> then I, I started playing golf. I owned a golf course when, when I was in my 30s. And I, I realized there's one other statistic true. 100% of all short putts don't go in. Yes. Right? That's yes, true yes, too. Yes. Yep. Then I came up with the gold. This one everybody loves. And it's the difference between successful people and people that do, do not succeed in life. 100% yeah. of the things you do now get done. People who get stuff done are successful people that don't aren't and i asked myself according to my calendar right can i get this done can, can i get this done now and yeah. if i can i do it and if i can't it goes into my calendar for the next day prioritize like eisenhower by what's most important first not what's my most yeah, urgent, yeah, yeah. right yeah. but i get old so school, much school more done in a day because yeah. i do it now you know what I had the other day on a Saturday an interview and I had a 15 minute period and I looked over at this cabinet that needed to be cleaned out for the last year and a half, you know, one yeah. of those COVID projects. Yeah. And I looked at it and I said, can I do this now? Yeah, I can. And, you know, I, in 15 minutes, did something that had been lingering over me, causing interference, shortages, voids, obstacles in my life. I must have spent at least two hours of focus over a year and a half of I should get that done. Should I get it done? Should I? Get, and then feeling bad that I didn't get it done. Do it now. 100% of the things you do now get done. The difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is people that are successful get things done. Hang, I love that, man. I'm, I'm like this huge fan of like that, that closet to me is the metaphor for I'll stand with somebody or, you know, coaching somebody or just in a conversation, I'll say, how many open loops do you have? And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know. Are you complete with your parents? They're like, nope. I'm like, well, that's, that's a big open loop. Are you complete, you know, with your health? Nope. I'm like, okay. So I use it like the example of how a child would draw the ocean, the waves, right? And the whole goal is, can you just close all the loops? Right. And when you have that, one of my great sort of uh, philosophical teachers says, then you are whole and complete. You have integrity. And I was like, yeah. So like the closet, everyone that's listening right now has that closet that they've been looking at that they're like, I need to get that done. Right. And I always tell people like, make up that list of just all the incompletes. Right. The closet, sell the car, clean out the garage, say you're sorry. Right. Like whatever it may be. And man, do you feel better for Right. Yeah. 1000%. Right. I tell people like, uh, do you, do you want to really lose weight? They're like, yeah. I'm like, do you have any clothes for when you were heavier? They're like, yeah. I'm like, throw them all away. You throw them all away. At least you won't go back to it. Right. Just like little, just stupid little things to get us in action. What's number five. Number five is the practice of life, which is practice ending fear. And I'd love to be able to share in three minutes a story that yeah. exemplifies this. So, because this changed my life. Um, I have a serious routine. So I wake up at four, I meditate for 20 minutes, I get ready for the gym for 10. At 4.30, I'm out the door in the old days. Now I'm running at 4.30 before I was going to the gym. Yeah. Uh, 
I wake up on a Saturday, unbelievable meditation, get ready. I'm on the high plateau and go higher frequency baseline for the day. It's going to be an amazing Saturday. I wake up, get outside. My 17 year old daughter's car is missing. I go in, I go into ego based consciousness. I go in, I go into anger. I go into anger and I'm about almost done dialing and about to say, where the F is your car? Where the F are you? Are you kidding me? I told you to be home at midnight. Now, meanwhile, I fell asleep between 10 and 11. So I have no idea what time my kids get home and I'm literally so pissed. And then I become this ferocious Buddha. I'm practicing ending fear. And unbelievably enough, I stop dialing and I start breathing. I take those deep breaths in and even deeper out to lower my blood pressure. And I ask myself, why are you so angry? And I answer myself, I'm not angry, right? I'm afraid. I'm afraid something's happened to somebody that's so important to me that I'm responsible for. I'm terrified. Okay, then let's treat the situation accordingly, right? You you want to make sure she's okay. And you want to make sure you help her if she's not okay. Take a deep breath. Yelling and screaming and F-bombing her is not going to help. So now I pick up the phone in what I call the right trajectory, not accelerating in the ego-based consciousness of interference, void, shortages, and obstacles that can change your life. But now I'm moving in the right way like a ferocious Buddha would. And I call calmly and I wake her and I said, hello. She said, hi. I said, where are you? I'm in, I'm in my bed. Oh, where's your car? Oh, daddy, you told me when kids are drinking that I shouldn't get in the car. So I took an Uber home. I hope that's okay. Oh, I'm so relieved you're okay. I'm so proud of you. I love you. Oh, I love you too, daddy. And I'm sorry for waking you. Oh, it's okay. I love you. Bye. Now, so many layers change your life here because I would have accelerated in the wrong trajectory and not practice ending fear and not been a ferocious Buddha. I would have yelled at her and said, where the F are you? She would have said, I'm in my bed. Where's your effing car? Well, kids were, you were drinking. I'm going to take your car. I'm going to take your, I've seen myself and for other sure. parents. This. For sure. Okay. Here's every, where the, every parent. Yeah. yeah. Here's the subtleties though. It's not just that my situation ended with a bonding experience, closing the loop of a father daughter yeah. relationship of trust and yeah. of credibility. But it goes far beyond that because what happens that people don't realize is the next time kids are drinking, my daughter says to herself, I don't want to disappoint my dad. I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to lose my car. I don't want to lose my phone. I'm going to drive home. And God knows how lives change when that happens. Her life, my life, somebody that we don't know's life can change dramatically. And this is a classic example of what I think rule number five is so important because most of the things that are stopping us from what we want are because we are not practicing ending fear. We're creating, right? We're the reason we can't manifest exactly what we desire because we've created these interferences, voids and shortages and obstacles by number one, not identifying right? When we're an ego-based emotion, knowing the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, scared, angry, resentful, all these feelings that I practice identifying. And then even more to practice being able to stop, knowing that when my mind, body, and soul is on fire, I better stop and then drop and then roll in the right direction. So using breathing, being a Buddha, asking ourselves, why do I feel this way? Learning, building that muscle. Now our lives become easy right? Things start happening rapidly and accurately the way we want them because we're not creating the interferences, voids, shortages, and obstacles. We're accepting and allowing the power that we have, that power that sits within us to be connected and come through us to others. And life really becomes so easy, which ties into like my favorite rule number six, which isn't on the list, but it's don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I was just sitting here. I mean, you're having, having, you know, we talked to, we have, you know, kids, similar ages, um, so I love, 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 love that example. Um, but as you were saying it, I, I crossed off, I modernized in my world, practice ending being triggered. Nice. Right. Cause so much of the world today is in this like triggered mentality that, you know, it's, it's not the parent, you know, well, maybe it, it always is the parent saying, you know, you know, do what I say, not what I do is basically what happens. But you know, on the other side, like we have this culture of people now that just, that just allow themselves to emotionalize stuff and, and lash out, react, overreact when it's like, Hey, Hey, chill. Like I got three Buddhas from my wife and I, you know, I keep this, you know, near me all the time is that reminder, like, 
hey, Buddha would get attacked all the time as, as all spiritual leaders have. And they would take a breath. They would look for appreciation. They would look for understanding. We're missing a lot of that right now in our world, man. You know, I'm not, I'm not going like political and all that. So I'm just saying like, ending everybody listening, like, you know, I don't know about you, but I turned the news off a long time ago. And man, if I want to like get depressed really quick, all you got to do is just ask somebody what's happening in the world. Right. In the, in the filter of weirdnesses. You can seek the answers. You don't need them inundating you all day long. You, right. go, you want to check once or twice a day, how many people die or how, what percentage of hospitals are full. You can look that up, but yeah. you don't got to listen to it all day long. Yeah. 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 The, this, this practice ending fear. Uh, if you have not written a book about that, you should write a uh, entire book about that fear, trigger, resistance, anxiety. You know, it's, it's all of that, right? Yeah. I just finished don't do business with Dick. So I think practicing <laughs> in fear will be next. <laughs> you got to send me a copy of that. Okay. What, what the, for the people listening, what you don't know is uh, David actually lives like maybe 15 minutes from my house. Right. So we're, I'm in my studio. He's in his home studio. And, uh, and next time, brother, we got to get together face to face because the energy uh, could be, it is off the charts. On my podcast too. So without a doubt, this is a, a start of a long, fruitful and empowering relationship for us and others. Yeah. 1000%. So David, as we wrap this up, you have, uh, like, I mean, it, it, I was telling everyone that I interview, I always say like, I'm taking probably more notes than the, because most people are driving or they're doing something else. I'm like actively interviewing you and learning in the process, which for me is just like the, the, the secret reason why I do podcasts, right? What's one last little thing you would say as we, as we turn this off and wrap this up and let people get back into whatever they're doing next. So just because one last thought, David, cause you've shared a lot. My golden rule, you know, be, it, it solves all the issues that we talk about and will talk about yeah. kindness. So I always say, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Whether you're depressed, anxious, angry, frustrated, happy, doing simple good, no indeed that you can't ask the universe, you can't out ask the universe, but you can't out kind yourself. And yeah. I think all the issues that exist today, if people would just take a step back and say, what would a kind person do? What would a kind person do in this situation? We, so much of all of this interference goes away. And even more importantly, not only what would a kind person do, how can I be kind to my future self? So even take and extend kindness to another level that I'm not just going to be kind in the incident or, or precedent of today and being present, but I'm going to be kind beyond today. I'm going to be kind to many years to come and those good deeds will keep on coming and you'll learn to expand and grow and accelerate. And that's receiving in my opinion. So be kind to your future self and do good deeds. I love it, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And every, obviously everybody out there, you're going to follow him on Instagram, check out what he's doing. You can see him on YouTube. Like, uh, I think we connected on LinkedIn. I, I forget which one it was, but I mean, just, you know, kindred spirit. So brother, thank you for, uh, for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your five and then six points and, and so many gems in between. So uh, thank you again. And for all my friends out there listening or watching, make a comment, share this with somebody that needs to hear it. And uh, we'll be back with you soon on the next podcast. Take care. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.